0: chapter 9 of penrod and sam this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by jonathan Burchard, april 2009 penrod and sam by booth tarkington chapter 9 reward of merit penrod said his mother what did you do with that loaf of bread della says you took from the table ma'am what loaf of bread i believe i can't let you go outdoors this afternoon Mrs. Schofield said severely. "'If you were hungry, you know perfectly well all you had to do. But I wasn't hungry. i You can explain later,' Mrs. Schofield said. "'You'll have all afternoon.'" Penrod's heart grew cold. "'I can't stay in,' he protested. "'I've asked Sam Williams to come over.' "'I'll telephone Mrs. Williams.' "'Mama!' Penrod's voice became agonized. "'I had to give that bread to—' Uh, "'To a poor old man. He was starving, and so were his children and his wife. "'They were all just starving, and they couldn't wait while I took time to come and ask you, Mamma. "'I got to go outdoors this afternoon. I got to. Sam's—' "'She relented.' "'In the carriage house, half an hour later, Penrod gave an account of the episode. "'Where'd we been? I'd just like to know,' he concluded, "'if I hadn't got out here this afternoon.' Well, I guess I could manage him, all right, Sam said. I was in the passageway a minute ago, taking a look at him. He's standing up again. I expect he wants more to eat. Well, we got to fix about that, said Penrod. But what I mean, if I'd had to stay in the house, where would we have been about the most important thing in the whole business? What you talking about? Well, why can't you wait till I tell you? Penrod's tone had become peevish. For that matter, so had Sam's. They were developing one of the little differences, or quarrels, that composed the very texture of their friendship. "'Well, why don't you tell me, then?' "'Well, how can I?' Penrod demanded. "'You keep talking every minute.' "'I'm not talking now, am I?' Sam protested. "'You can tell me now, can't you? I'm not you i am not talk. "'You are, too,' Penrod shouted. "'You talk all the time, you—' He was interrupted by Whitey's peculiar cough. Both boys jumped and forgot their argument. He means he wants some more to eat, I bet, said Sam. Well, if he does, he's got to wait, Penrod declared. We got to get the most important thing of all fixed up first. What's that, Penrod? The reward, said Penrod mildly. That's what I was trying to tell you about, Sam, if you'd ever give me half a chance. Well, I did give you a chance. I keep telling you to tell me, but you never. You kept saying... They renewed this discussion, protracting it indefinitely, but as each persisted in clinging to his own interpretation of the facts, the question still remains unsettled. It was abandoned, or rather it merged into another during the later stages of the debate, this other being concerned with which of the debaters had the least sense. Each made the plain statement that if he were more deficient than his opponent in that regard, self-destruction would be his only refuge. Each declared that he would rather die than be talked to death. And then, as the two approached a point bluntly recriminative, Whitey coughed again, whereupon they were miraculously silent, and went into the passageway in the perfectly amiable manner. "'I got to have a good look at him for once,' Penrod said, as he stared frowningly at Whitey. "'We got to fix up about that reward.' "'I want to take a good old look at him myself,' Sam said. After supplying Whitey with another bucket of water, they returned to the carriage-house and seated themselves thoughtfully." In truth, they were something a shade more than thoughtful. The adventure to which they had committed themselves was beginning to be a little overpowering. If Whitey had been a dog, a goat, a fowl, or even a stray calf, they would have felt equal to him. But now that the earlier flow of their wild daring had disappeared, vague apprehension stirred. Their good look at Whitey had not reassured them. He seemed large, gothic, and unusual. Whisperings within them began to urge that for boys to undertake an enterprise connected with so huge an animal as an actual horse was perilous beneath the surface of their musings dim but ominous prophecies moved both boys began to have the feeling that somehow this affair was going to get beyond them and that they would be in heavy trouble before it was over they knew not why they knew why no more than they knew why they felt it imperative to keep the fact of Whitey's presence in the stable a secret from their respective families but they did begin to realize that keeping a secret of that size was going to be attended with some difficulty. In brief, their sensations were becoming comparable to those of the man who stole a house. Nevertheless, after a short period given to unspoken misgivings, they returned to the subject of the reward. The money value of bay horses as compared to White was again discussed, and each announced his certainty that nothing less than a good old hundred dollars would be offered for the return of Whitey. But immediately after so speaking, they fell into another silence, due to sinking feelings. They had spoken loudly and confidently, and yet they knew, somehow, that such things were not to be. According to their knowledge, it was perfectly reasonable to suppose that they would receive this fortune, but they frightened themselves in speaking of it. They knew that they could not have a hundred dollars for their own, An oppression, as from something awful and criminal, descended upon them at intervals." Presently, however, they were warmed to a little cheerfulness again by Penrod's suggestion that they should put a notice in the paper. Neither of them had the slightest idea how to get it there, but such details as that were beyond the horizon. They occupied themselves with the question of what their advertisement ought to say. Finding that they differed irreconcilably, Penrod went to his cache in the sawdust box and brought two pencils and a supply of paper. He gave one of the pencils and several sheets to Sam, Then both boys bent themselves in silence to the labor of practical composition. Penrod produced the briefer paragraph, see figure one. Sam's was more ample, see figure two. Figure one, reward. White horse in Schofield's alley. Finders got him in Schofield's stable, and will let him taken away by, by, crossed out pay. Paying for good food he has eaten while, crossed out W, while, crossed out what? Waiting and reward of crossed out one hundred twenty fifteen five ten dollars figure two fond horse on Saturday morning owner can get him by cross through word unreadable, replying at stable behind Mr. Schofield. you will have to prove he is your horse he is wit with hind of brown crossed out speck specks and wore out crossed out tail tail he is getting good care and food reward crossed out one hundred twenty-seventy-five cents to each one or we will keep him locked up. Neither Sam nor Penrod showed any interest in what the other had written, but both felt that something praiseworthy had been accomplished. Penrod exhaled a sigh, as of relief, and in a manner he had observed for his father use sometimes, he said, "'Well, thank goodness that's off my mind anyway!' "'What we going to do next, Penrod?' Sam asked deferentially, the borrowed manner having some effect upon him." i don't know what you're going to do penrod returned picking up the old cigar-box that had contained the paper and pencils i'm going to put mine in here so it'll come in handy when i have to get at it well i guess i'll keep mine there too sam said thereupon he deposited his scribbled slip besides penrod's in the cigar-box and the box was solemnly returned to the secret place whence it had been taken there that's tended to sam said and unconsciously imitating his friend's imitation he gave forth audibly a breath of satisfaction and relief. Both boys felt that the financial side of their great affair had been conscientiously looked to, that the question of the reward was settled, and that everything was proceeding in a business-like manner. Therefore, they were able to turn their attention to another matter. This was the question of Whitey's next meal. After their exploits of the morning, and the consequent imperilment of Penrod, they decided that nothing more was to be done in apples, vegetables, or bread. It was evident that Whitey must be fed from the bosom of nature. we couldn't pull enough of that frostbit old grass in the yard to feed him. Penrod said gloomily, We could work a week and not get enough to make him swallow more'n about twice. All we got this morning, he blew most of it away. He tried to scoop it in toward his teeth with his lip, and then he'd have to kind of blow out his breath and After that, all the grass that'd be left was just some wet pieces stick into the outsides of his face well. "'And you know how he acted about that maple branch. "'We can't trust him with branches.' "'Sam jumped up. "'I know,' he cried. "'There's lots of leaves left on the branches. "'We can give them to him.' "'I just said, I don't mean the branches,' Sam explained. "'We'll leave the branches on the trees, "'but just pull the leaves off the branches "'and put em in the bucket and feed into em out of the bucket.' "'Penrod thought this plan worth trying.' and for three-quarters of an hour the two boys were busy with the lower branches of various trees in the yard thus they managed to supply whitey with a fair quantity of wet leaves which he ate in a perfunctory way displaying little of his earlier enthusiasm and the work of his purveyors might have been more tedious if it had been less damp for a boy is seldom bored by anything that involves his staying out in the rain without protection the drizzle had thickened the leaves were heavy with water and at every jerk, the branches sent fat drops over the two collectors. They attained a noteworthy state of sogginess. Finally, they were brought to the attention of the authorities indoors, and Della appeared upon the back porch. muster Penrod," she called. "Your mamma says you'll come in the house this minute and change your shoes and stockings and everything else you got on. Do you hear me?" Penrod, taken by surprise and unpleasantly alarmed darted away from the tree he was depleted and ran for the stable. "'You tell her I'm dry as toast!' he shouted over his shoulder. Della withdrew, wearing the air of a person gratuitously insulted, and a moment later she issued from the kitchen, carrying an umbrella. She opened it and walked resolutely to the stable. "'She says I'm to bring ye in the house,' said Della, "'and I'm going to bring ye.' Sam had joined Penrod in the carriage house, and with the beginnings of an unnamed terror, the two beheld this grim advance." "'but they did not stay for its culmination. "'Without a word to each other, "'they hurriedly tiptoed up the stairs to the gloomy loft, "'and there they paused, listening. "'They heard Della's steps upon the carriage-house floor. "'Ah, there's plenty of places to hide in,' they heard her say, "'but I'll show ye. "'She told me to bring ye, and I'm—' "'She was interrupted by a peculiar sound, "'loud, chilling, dismal, and unmistakably not of human origin.' the boys knew it for Whitey's cough, but Della had not their experience. A smothered shriek reached their ears, there was a scurrying noise, and then, with horror, they heard Della's footsteps in the passageway that ran by Whitey's manger. Immediately there came a louder shriek, and even in the anguish of knowing their secret discovered, they were shocked to hear distinctly the words, "Oh, Lord of Heaven, in the well-known voice of Della. She shrieked again, and they heard the rush of her footfalls across the carriage-house floor. Wild words came from the outer air, and the kitchen door slammed violently. It was all over. She had gone to tell. Penrod and Sam plunged down the stairs and out of the stable. They climbed the back fence and fled up the alley. They turned into Sam's yard and, without consultation, headed for the cellar doors, nor paused till they found themselves in the farthest, darkest, and gloomiest recess of the cellar there perspiring stricken with fear they sank down upon the earthen floor with their moist backs against the stone wall thus with boys the vague apprehensions that had been creeping upon Penrod and sam all afternoon had become monstrous the unknown was before them how great their crime would turn out to be now that it was in the hands of grown people they did not know but since it concerned a horse it would undoubtedly be considered of terrible dimensions their plans for a reward and all the things that had seemed both innocent and practical in the morning, now staggered their minds as manifestations of criminal folly. A new and terrible light seemed to play upon the day's exploits. They had chased a horse belonging to strangers, and it would be said that they deliberately drove him into the stable and there concealed him. They had, in truth, virtually stolen him, and they had stolen food for him. The waning light through the small window above them, warned penrod that his inroads upon the vegetables in his own cellar must soon be discovered della that nemesis would seek them in order to prepare them for dinner and she would find them not but she would recall his excursion to the cellar for she had seen him when he came up and also the truth would be known concerning the loaf of bread Although Penrod felt that his case was worse than Sam's, until Sam offered a suggestion that roused such horrible possibilities concerning the principal item of their offense that all thought of the smaller indictments disappeared. Listen, Penrod, Sam quavered. What, what if that, what if that old horse maybe belonged to a, a policeman? Sam's indignation was not of the comforting kind. What are they, what are they, what did they do to us, Penrod? If it turned out he was some policeman's horse. Penrod was only able to shake his head. He did not reply in words, but both boys thenceforth considered it almost inevitable that Whitey had belonged to a policeman, and in their sense of so ultimate a disaster, they ceased for a time to brood upon what their parents would probably do to them. The penalty for stealing a policeman's horse would only be a step short of capital, they were sure. They would not be hanged, but vague, looming sketches of something called the penitentiary began to flicker before them. It grew darker in the cellar, so that finally they could not see each other, I guess they're huntin for us by now, Sam said huskily i don't-I don't like it much down here, Penrod Penrod's hoarse whisper came back from the profound gloom. Well, whoever said you did well, Sam paused then he said plaintively, "I wish we'd never seen that dern old horse. It was every bit his fault, said Penrod we didn't do anything. If he hadn't come sticking his old head in our stable, it had never happened at all, old fool. He rose. I'm going to get out of here. I guess I've stood about enough for one day. Where, where are you going, Penrod? You aren't going home, are you? No, I'm not. What you take me for? You think I'm crazy? Well, where can we go? How far Penrod's desperation actually would have led him is doubtful. But he made this statement. I don't know where you're going, but I'm going to walk straight out in the country till I come to a farmhouse and say my name's George and live there. I'll do it too, Sam whispered eagerly. I'll say my name's Henry. Well, we'd better get started, said the executive Penrod. We got to get away from here anyway. But when they came to ascend the steps leading to the outside doors, they found that those doors had been closed and locked for the night. It's no use, Sam lamented, and we can't bust him, because I tried to once before. Fanny always locks him about five o'clock. I forgot. We got to go up the stairway and try to sneak out through the house. They tiptoed back and up the inner stairs. They paused at the top, then breathlessly stepped out into a hall that was entirely dark. Sam touched Penrod's sleeve in warning and bent to listen at a door. Immediately that door opened, revealing the bright library— where sat penrod's mother and sam's father it was sam's mother who had opened the door come into the library boys she said mrs schofield is just telling us about it and as the two comrades moved dumbly into the lighted room penrod's mother rose and taking him by the shoulder urged him close to the fire you stand there and try to dry off a little while i've finished telling mr and mrs williams about you and sam she said You better make Sam keep near the fire, too, Mrs. Williams, because they both got ringing wet. Think of their running off just when most people would have wanted to stay. Well, I'll go on with the story, then. Della told me all about it, and what the cook next door said she'd seen, how they'd been trying to pull grass and leaves for the poor old thing all day, and all about the apples they carried from your cellar, and getting wet and working in the rain as hard as they could, and they'd given him a loaf of bread. Shame on you, Penrod. She paused to laugh, but there was a little moisture about her eyes even before she laughed. And they'd fed him on potatoes and lettuce and cabbage and turnips out of our cellar. And I wish you'd seen the sawdust bed they made for him. Well, when I telephoned and the Humane Society man got there, he said it was the most touching thing he ever knew. It seems he knew this horse and had been looking for him. He said 99 boys out of a 100 would have chased the poor old thing away, and he was going to see to it that this case didn't go unnoticed, because the local branch of the society gives little silver medals for special acts like this. And the last thing he said was that he was sure Penrod and Sam each would be awarded one at the meeting of the society next Thursday night. On the following Saturday, a yodel sounded from the sunny sidewalk in front of the Schofields house and Penrod, issuing forth, beheld the familiar figure of Sam Williams waiting. Upon Sam's breast there glittered a round bit of silver suspended by a white ribbon from a bar of the same metal. Upon the breast of Penrod was a decoration precisely similar. "'Lo, Penrod,' said Sam. "'What are you going to do?' "'Nothing.' "'I got mine on,' said Sam. "'I have, too,' said Penrod. "'I wouldn't take a hundred dollars for mine.' I wouldn't take two hundred for mine, said Sam. Each glanced pleasantly at the other's medal. They faced each other without shame. Neither had the slightest sense of hypocrisy in himself or in his comrade. On the contrary. Penrod's eyes went from Sam's medal back to his own. Thence they wandered, with perhaps a little disappointment, to the lifeless street and to the empty yards and spectatorless windows of the neighborhood. Then he looked southward toward the busy heart of the town where the multitudes were. Let's go down and see what time it is by the courthouse clock, said Penrod. End of chapter 9